Have you ever faced a problem so big that you have no idea really where to start? I lived in Houston for 12 years, as many of you know. That's the church I was serving in before here. And I was there for two different hurricanes, including Harvey, as well as countless other floods. I can't even keep track of the number. But I've gone into many devastated homes, and I've gone in there to muck them out, to clean them out. And I know I've gone into houses that have had water lines that went up eight feet on the sheetrock, where water would sit in there for days. And you walk into a house like that, and you see mold from floor to ceiling, and you start wondering, where do I even begin? For some of you, maybe you've been in that same situation at work. Where you've gone to a new job and you see all the problems and how big of an issue that you're about to face and you're thinking where do I even start on this project for some of us maybe we have the same kind of mindset just walking into our own homes where the problems are so big we don't even know where to begin maybe it's in your marriage maybe it's in your children maybe it's an extended family that relational tension is so high you don't even know where to start I imagine Nehemiah had a, a similar mindset as he made his way into Jerusalem. Because if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about how Nehemiah was introduced to a massive problem. He was told by his brother that the walls of Jerusalem were still in rubble. 150 years before, they'd been burned to the ground, but nothing had happened to restore them. That Jerusalem still lacked its glory and he heard about the problem two weeks ago, but if you were here last week, you remember he volunteered to step into that problem. He wanted to make a difference with his life. And he asked for the king's permission to go back to Jerusalem, and this week he's going to roll into town, and he's going to see the problem with his own eyes. And as he evaluates the problem, what he's going to do is he's going to put together a strategy on how to tackle this obstacle, and I think it will be a message with great application for all of us in this room because we're going to leave here and we're going to find rubble all around us this week. Things that are broken that need to be built back up. And the question is, where do you start? And Nehemiah is going to give us a concrete strategy on how I can make a difference and you can make a difference if we begin to build a team around us. So if you have your Bible, join me right there in chapter 2. And we're going to start where we left off last week. And we'll begin in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So we'll pause there. We're seeing Nehemiah enter into Israel from Susa. This was a long journey. I know it's one verse, but in reality, it probably took him two months or more to make this journey. And he makes his way into Jerusalem, and he's lived his whole life in exile, and he goes into town, and he, we're told that the first thing he did was he gave letters. If you were here last week, we learned that difference makers are prepared, and he was prepared for this moment. He knew the obstacles he would face, so he asked King Artaxerxes for those letters for the local governors and officials that would not want him in town. So he starts delivering those letters so he can get to work. But as he's delivering those letters, did you catch it? He also had other people with him. He had officers and horsemen that the king had sent with him. 
You see, Nehemiah knew there were going to be some issues. And the king likewise understood there would be issues as well. And so Nehemiah knows there's going to be opposition. This is why he came prepared with the letters, but also with imperial forces with him. He doesn't just go into town like an average Joe telling everybody what to do. He went in as an official of the king with the king's horsemen and officers surrounding him. And what you catch is that people saw that. And some people didn't like that. Who's this new guy with all this authority, with the king's officer serving him, and we're told there's two people that heard he's in town and they're not happy about it. We're told it's Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. These two figures along with another one will become central figures over the course of this study because they will oppose the work of Nehemiah. And what you see is the introduction to them here in this chapter. Actually, next week, we'll talk more about how he handles opposition. But today, we're just seeing the opposition being introduced. Because they see Nehemiah coming in with this plan, this calling to fulfill God's will here on this earth. And people don't like it. In fact, what we're told is Sanballat starts to scheme. And Sanballat, if you look at that historically, he was the governor of Samaria, History tells us some years later, some wonder if he was already in office and having that position right there. And then you have Tobiah the Ammonite, Tobiah being a Jewish name, but Ammonite being one of the enemies of Israel. And Tobiah will come into play as we go through the study. He will serve in some ways as an intelligence officer. He's got insider information with the Jews, and he tries to break up Nehemiah's purposes from within. But here you see these two figures rise up. And we're going to see them more. And what you're finding out really quickly is Nehemiah is going to have to fight. He's going to have to face opposition to fulfill God's calling in his life. But what you also see in these two verses is Nehemiah is not surprised. He knew it was coming before he ever got to Jerusalem. That's why he came with letters and horsemen and officers. Because he knew our first point is true, that difference makers should expect resistance. Difference makers should expect resistance. He's not surprised. He knew there'd be tension. He knew there would be opposition to God's purposes on this earth, so he came ready. He came with the letters, he came with the military officials, knowing that this is going to be tough work. And I think so often in our lives, we forget that it's natural to face opposition when you're trying to bring about positive change. Just this last week, I was trying to bring a small positive change into my own household. I had a newspaper subscription that I don't really use, to be honest. And I'm spending money every month on this thing. I wasn't getting the full purpose for it. So I decided in the best interest of my family, our budget, I need to cancel this subscription. So I went online to go click cancel, and I clicked the cancel button, and what I got was a phone number. And I realized I have to talk to someone to cancel this newspaper. In that moment, I knew this change was going to bring resistance. So I budgeted some time for that phone call. Because I made the phone call, and if you've made that call, you know how it goes. Somebody picks up the phone, and they start talking really nicely to you. How can I help you? And I tell him, I want to cancel my subscription right now, please. And he says, oh, okay, great. Well, this only takes a few minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it does. And I just need to actually start 
working on some stuff. But as we're working on that stuff, he says, did you know that your subscription has all these digital resources and yada, yada, yada? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just, I don't, don't want it. He's like, oh, okay, well, no problem. It just takes a few more minutes and we're just kind of talking. He's like, ooh, look what happened. He said, your subscription can actually go down 25% for six months. I just got a notification. Would you like to keep it? And I said, no, I want to kill this thing. No. And he said, oh, okay, well, we'll just keep trying. And he punching some numbers. Oh, you know what happened? I got another notification. You can get half off for three months if you just stay with us a little bit longer. And I said, no, I just want to cancel this subscription and this phone call. I just want to get out of here and be done with it. Now, the reality is I didn't change my mind on that phone call. We canceled the subscription because my mind was resolute on what I needed to do. It didn't matter what he said. I knew resistance was going to come, but that resistance did not push me away from the purpose. And I think so often in the Christian life, too many people give up because of resistance. They give up on God's calling on their life, they give up on the call of holiness. They give up on the call of service. They give up on all of these things because they face opposition. You see, so many Christians want life to be easy, but the truth is it's not easy to make a difference for Jesus Christ. That's actually tough sledding. And Nehemiah knew it was going to be tough, but he came in prepared, understanding I'm going to face resistance. The Bible tells us we need to be prepared to face resistance. Actually, Jesus himself in John 16, verse 33, he told us, you will face tribulation. In other words, it's not going to be easy if you want to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. People will malign you. They will misunderstand you. They will oppose you. Paul said it himself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You don't see that on many of your coffee mugs when you wake up. But it's a promise from the scriptures that if you want to make a difference, if you want to live a godly life and a life to fulfill the purposes of God here on this earth, you will be persecuted you will be opposed and you will see opposition my question for you to consider this morning is this have you stopped doing and believing what is right because you're scared of those who do and believe what is wrong i'll say that again have you stopped doing and believing what is right because you are scared of those who do and believe what is wrong this is an issue in the church all across our country people are changing their theology and their practices because they're scared because they face resistance and they cower because they say well maybe something's wrong if people don't like me and actually the bible says many aren't going to like you this is the way it works you actually don't become a christian to become popular in the world's eyes if that was your purposes, you were really mistaken because the scripture says over and over you're going to face resistance. Lori Davila's, who you heard on the stage, she's a difference maker. And you think about Lori, do you think she's faced some resistance in her life? I mean, good grief, 500 pregnancy resource centers. 
She has been a part of a work on this earth saving thousands of children. And who knows how many adults coming to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. She absolutely faces resistance. If we build that building, the Lighthouse Project, the Family Support Center, do you think we're not going to face resistance? Of course we'll face resistance. Because difference makers always face resistance. In your own home, if you want to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, you will face resistance. Some of that resistance might even come from your own children. Some of that resistance might come from your spouse. If you want to live for the glory of Christ in your workplace and school, do you think that's going to be easy? I guarantee you, you're going to face resistance. People might call you a bigot. People might undermine you. They might call you an extremist if you simply live for the glory of Christ. I can tell you from my own limited life experience, and I have not touched what many others have touched in regards to opposition and resistance, but the more I stand on God's word and I just simply say what it says, the more I will get snarky messages, the more I'll get unfriended, the more people will judge me, and the truth is it is just at the surface. It's going to get worse and worse because if you want to make a difference for Jesus Christ, know what you're signing up for. And if I'm being candid, many people don't make a difference for Jesus Christ because they just blend in. They cower to resistance. Nehemiah knew it was coming. He knew it was coming, so he came prepared. And what we need in this country is a church with thicker skin. Thicker skin and softer hearts. Where we don't give up on people, but we also don't give up on the Lord and his purposes for our life. We have thick skin because we know that opposition is just a part of it. Nehemiah is prepared. So he comes in and they are already going against him. But then you see what he does as soon as he shows up in verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men came with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon gate, to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass and then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone, on, gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So what you see is Nehemiah gets into Jerusalem and he starts doing some work very discreetly. We're told that he actually would arise in the middle of the night. And why did he get up in the middle of the night? Because he wanted to go inspect the city. He starts working around the wall where the wall formerly was, mainly covering on the southern and the eastern sides. And he's making his way around and he gets up in the night and he only takes a few trusted people with him. He does not tell everyone where he's going. You see, he gets up in the middle of the night and starts doing work that no one else has done because to make a difference, you have to do things that no one else will do. And he gets up and he goes out at night doing the tough work, studying, surveying, planning, 
And he said something key if you caught it there. It says that as he's doing this, I told no one is what he said. He said, I told no one what God had put into my heart. He's being quiet. He's just going out at night discreetly so no one will even know what he's doing. And he's planning, he's praying, he's evaluating, he's assessing, and he does that work without telling others that are around him. And why would he do that? It's because our second point is also true. Difference makers are slow to speak. Difference makers are slow to speak. You see, last week we talked about how difference makers know what to speak. That's tact. But difference makers also know when to speak. That's timing. They understand when is the right time to say the word. And Nehemiah knew, I shouldn't say much until I know much. He said, I'm going to go around and actually put together a plan before people put holes in it. He said, I'm actually going to put together a thought process. I'm going to evaluate. I'm going to look at all these things and study and work hard. He says, I'm going to do all this stuff, and then I will speak at the right moment. So often we can't make a difference in our lives because we have terrible timing with our words. We just speak at the wrong time. We might have the right word, we just have the wrong time. We don't say it at the right time. And lots of times we have the right intentions. But sometimes our timing is just terrible. But difference makers know that the right word has to be said at the right time. You see, the world teaches the opposite in its ideology. Because if you look at a modern era of activism, what is it centered around? It's around saying whatever you want, whenever you want, spew it out there, be all hateful and terrible and as intolerant as anyone, and just say it all out there, let it all hide out in the internet, and you just communicate without thinking. This is modern-day activism. Modern-day activism largely is read a few articles and then rage online and say whatever you want to say. That is the State of the Union. And they think they're making a difference when, we do, when they do that. But no one ever listens to that. You see, difference makers know when to speak. Because if you don't know when to speak, what you become is white noise. No one wants to hear you. Have you ever known that guy in your office or, or in your school? And by that guy, I mean that guy that's always the first one to speak on everything. Some of y'all might be that guy, to be candid. In your workplace where there's a meeting, and you always know the guy that's going to speak up out of turn and tell everybody what to do without actually thinking through the complexities of the issues at hand. Sometimes it happens in the classroom. The know-it-all that will speak within the first five seconds without actually thinking before he speaks, and he just thinks out loud, and everyone drowns it out. This happens in the household, too. Have you ever known the person who might have the right heart but terrible timing? Like the person who feels like the Thanksgiving meal is the time to have an intervention and starts speaking what's on their heart and no one wants to hear it. But if you want to make a difference, you have good timing. Churches all across our country are filled with people that are too fast to speak. Sometimes what will happen, and I've seen this in many churches, is some people just like to speak quickly about rubble. Because the truth is, you'll find rubble in any church if you just look for it. And a lot of people like pointing out the rubble, but then ironically, they don't actually want to build anything. They just like to be critical. 
They like to be critical, point out everything wrong, and then eventually leave that place to go find some rubble at another church. This is modern evangelicalism all across our country. We are all experts on knowing where the rubble is, and unfortunately, we speak too quickly without even thinking through the complexities of why that rubble's there, and what are the problems, and most importantly, how can I be a part of the positive change? Difference makers are slow to speak. This is a biblical idea in James chapter 1, verse 19. We're told, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Be quick to listen. But then he said, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Our country could be so much better if we just follow that one verse. If we would just be quick to listen and close our mouths and slow to get angry. Unfortunately, we're the opposite so often, pastors included. We are slow to listen, and we're actually quick to speak, and then we're very quick to get angry. But if, the, if you want to make a change in your life or the lives of others, have good timing. Know what to say, but also when to say it. Nehemiah knows it's time to say it in verse 17. Then I said to them, after he's done all the work and the planning, he says, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah shows up and now he has a word. He shut his mouth till he knew the word. And then after he thought about the word, he spoke it clearly in the right moment. And it's a message of collaboration. He says, come, let us build. Stop staring at all these problems and doing nothing about it. He says, come together because the good hand of the Lord is upon me in this mission that he's given me. Come and be a part of the work. And I find it so interesting that Nehemiah's first step after he knows what is wrong is to go do what? It's to build a team. He knows that the problem's too big for one guy to go fix. He says, I need everyone. I need people to step up and do something with their own lives. And what he's showing us is our final point. It takes a team to build something special. It takes a team to build something special. You see, Nehemiah will get a lot of credit over the course of this book because he's the leader. But he did not build that wall himself. He had a massive team that worked hard and they followed his vision and his leadership, but they also got up and they said, let us build. Not you build, Nehemiah, let us build. And let's do this together because it takes a team to build something special. This is the way God has designed his church. It takes a team to build something special. We're told that Jesus Christ builds this church. We're told that he builds it himself, but what does he use to build up his church? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we're told, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, 
But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, born-again believers, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What he tells us in this passage, Peter, is that God's intention for the church is for it to be built on a cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ. He is the rock and the foundation of the church. But then how does he build up this spiritual house? We're told through living stones, born-again believers. God has purposes for each one of our lives, and we stand on the foundation of Christ together, but we come to him collaboratively saying, use me. Build up this church with me. Expand your kingdom through me. You see, there's an expectation in Scripture that we are a part of God's work here on this earth because it takes a team to build something special. This is why here at ABC we believe in church membership. It's why we believe in it. Some churches just want to build bigger bleachers. We want to build a bigger team. Because I believe God wants to build something special through this church family. He already has, but I believe he wants to continue to build it because Jesus says he will continue to build his church. And I believe Jesus wants to use this church to reach and impact thousands of people all around this city. But you might say, how is that possible? It's through you and me. It takes a team to build something special. It will take a team to build the best children's ministry in the city of Austin. It will take people to say, Lord, use me. How can I help? How can I be a part of the work with these youngest ones so that we might have a few more Lori DeVillises that might rise up? It takes a team to build up a student ministry. It takes parents to say, we're gonna commit and we're gonna get our children in student ministry and we're gonna serve it takes a team to build a community, to say, I'm not just going to sit and listen to the preacher once a week, but I'll actually go to a BFG, and I'm going to build up this family of faith. I'm going to be a part of the team. It takes a team to build a missions culture. Missions month and a few spotlights isn't enough. It takes a team. It takes individuals to stop praying that prayer, Lord, here I am, send them, but instead actually pray, Lord, here I am, send me how can i be a part of the work it will take a team to reach the city of austin the reality is over three quarters of our city is not in church right now over three quarters and yet god's put them all around us every single day it takes a team to reach people for jesus christ and i can tell you it will take a team to build the family support center Long-range planning committee can't do that themselves, but we can together. A team can make a difference, and it takes a team to build something special. And if you're willing to commit to be a part of that team, there's good news as we close out our passage in verse 19. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of this, they jeered at us and despised us and said, 
what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So once again, resistance. They're mocking the building up of the kingdom here on this earth. And how does Nehemiah respond? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. The God of heaven is on our side. And he said, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah said, we're going to get to work because God is going to bless this work. And he also tells those in the world, the adversaries, he says, you have no place. You have no authority. He said, I already have all the authority I need through my God. And you can combat us, but my God will always win. And church, I know so often we're scared about the state of the union of the church and the country, of what's going on because there's adversaries all around, and there are, yes, and amen. But make no mistake about it, if we'll commit to be the church that God has called us to be, he will keep building. This church will continue to grow, and will continue to reach people for Jesus Christ. And it's not because I like giving inspirational speeches, it's because Jesus gave that speech himself in Matthew 16, verse 18. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then he gives a promise, a second one with it, He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, you can speak against the church and all the things going on in the world. Anybody can say whatever they want. I take Jesus every day at his word. And he said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What that means is when you and I actually roll up our sleeves for kingdom work, we can work with confidence, knowing that our labor is not in vain. That if we are part of this team, we're part of a winning team. Because God will always build and grow his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Politicians can't stop it. Political correctness can't stop it. Censorship can't stop it. Education drift can't stop it. Jesus will continue to build his church, but he wants to build it with you and with me. And my question for you to consider is, what difference are you making today? Because God wants you to make a difference tomorrow. But it will only happen if me and you all come to the same understanding of let us arise and build something for the glory of Jesus Christ.